Before we start our podcast, a lot of you have been listening to Swisspreneur for inspiration on your own entrepreneurial journey. And I want to tell you about a great opportunity to get non-dilutive funding and coaching for your startup. If you have an innovative business idea, consider joining Venture. They're Switzerland's leading startup competition, and every year they award over 500,000 Swiss francs in cash prices, McKinsey & Company business consulting packages, and an amazing mentorship program. Submit your free application by March 3rd on venture.ch. If you have an emerging trend or a new category which is growing, more competition actually, or more competitors, help you to grow the segment itself than if you're a lonely soldier, so to say. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Lena and Simon, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for inviting us. Very happy to be here. Yeah, same on my side. Actually, being Swiss and being a Swisspreneur the very first time is so cool. That's a perfect combination, I would say. So you both are co-founders of AirUp, a revolutionary scent-based drinking system. And of course, we're going to talk all about your amazing product and how you actually developed it. But first, I want to talk a bit more about your personal background. Lena, you describe yourself as a creative mind that ended up in the business world. So I wonder, was entrepreneurship far from your radar back in your university days? Yes, definitely. So I uh, studied product design. And when you study product design, you do not have any business courses. So entrepreneurship was something I did not have on my career plan. Um, I basically did not have a lot of plans at that time, but um, I definitely didn't think I would ever found a business. And also, um, yeah, talking about my family, so I do not have any entrepreneurs in, in my family. So yeah, it was far off from my mind. So it sort of really just happened. And uh, we're going to tackle that story in a minute. Of course, I also wonder with you, Simon, what first drew you to entrepreneurship? Why is that the right career choice for you? Uh, for me, actually, I was during my studies and I studied business and chemistry, kind of in a combined study. I was pretty much on the consultant or investment banker track. But then during an internship in Tel Aviv, I came into this, and it's really a startup nation there, into this whole scene and met so many different yeah, entrepreneurs and together with a friend back in Tel Aviv, we decided actually it's quite boring to go into consulting and it's a lot cooler to actually really do what you think of. When we actually uh, started our first company, which was called Vendel back then, uh, which was a startup I had before joining Arab. Fantastic. So let's talk about the early days, Lena, and the AirUp idea is actually based on yours and co-founder Tim's bachelor thesis. Could you tell us a bit more about that and explain how you actually worked on the first initial ideas? Yeah, sure. So um, Tim and me, we had, or we, yeah, we had our bachelor thesis project together. So um, yeah, we, we had a lot of projects before as a team and we thought that's a good idea. And we both were super intrigued within the topic. Um, we stumbled across during our bachelor thesis research phase um, but we had a lot of, we heard a lot of um, talks about neuroscientific studies and um, yeah, w which was about uh, our sensory uh, perception and um, how you could maybe in the future um, manipulate the sensory perception or augment it for a good reason. Um, and we thought that's a super nice starting point for a physical product. Um, and uh, yeah, we kind of digged into that topic. I mean, it was a huge, it was a huge um, theme. And the first one and a half um, month we just spent in trying to find a product category in which we could combine this thought with um, the sensory perception with a physical product. 
And we came to the topic of our more modern diet, which is um, yeah, not just only a huge health threat nowadays to a lot of people and our society, but um, also it is connected very much to our problem with the environment because um, our, our food consumption leads to a lot of environmental issues as well. So we thought uh, maybe this is a good point to start um, and we realized that the perception of taste was the main issue. So um, our sensory perception is nowadays the same as it was hundreds of years ago and it's, 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 uh, leads to the, it leads to that we think good tasting food is good for us. Um, which was back in the days, extremely important to survive in your environment. And today it's just, you know, the food industry came across that everything that uh, has a lot of sugars and fats inside um, is tasting well to this, uh, to people. So um, we really struggle to discipline ourselves to um, resist good, good tasting food. So we thought, ah, if we could, you know, uh, manipulate our sensory perception in a way that we could make something that's actually healthy, very tasteful, then um, that would be a nice product. And then we, you know, digged into how our taste perception works. We found out that scent has a major, uh, plays a major role in that. Um, we found out that it's it's a certain way of perceiving or getting that scent into your system that it is able to have this impact on your taste perception. And that's where basically the, 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 the basic idea was found where we said, okay, water is the perfect is the perfect um, drink for everyone, but not a lot of people drink water. But with, if you could um, bring scent into people's mouth at the same time, it will taste um, super exciting um, without yeah, them having any bad consequences from that. That sounds almost too good to be true and also like a very scientific approach that you took there. Can you quickly explain how you solve that and, and actually execute the scent-based water drinking? Yes, um, actually, it's, it's not as uh, the the prototypes looked very plain. So our first prototype was actually um, a scent diffuser we bought from the internet. We ordered, uh, we we put a straw inside the outlet of the the scent infuser, so where the steam comes out. Um, and put it into uh, the other end of the straw into our mouth and drank at the same time water. So that was our first prototype to see if it works. And it did work. And then uh, kind of we went from that to buying cheap bottles from Woolworth because that was the only shop we had access to where we studied in Schwäbischgmünd, so a very small town. Um, and we bought a lot of baking aromas um, from from the supermarket. We bought a lot of um, etheric um, oils from the esoteric uh, shop in our town, um, and that was kind of the the setup we needed to to uh, play around with it and um, see that it works. And then we we went over to three D printing um, the 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 technique in the beginning. We um, used already um, silicon to to um, to yeah, manufacture prototype our mouthpiece. And that's from, yeah, that was kind of, we had a functional prototype by the end of the thesis, which took us, I don't know, four weeks from idea to this prototype. Um, but from this prototype to an actual product, the product that we sell today, um, it was a huge, uh, that was um, a lot more effort to get right. to that because then it, you, you need to think about manufacturing, about finance, how how expensive are the toolings, how complex can it be, um, and so on and so forth. So that was a lot longer process. And even before you made that decision, when was the point when you first realized that this project was not only working, but also truly economically viable? Yeah, that was not our first thought, as you can imagine. So we had, <laughs> yes, Simon is laughing. Uh, we, you should, we did you should have, have seen the first business plan. Yeah. It's, so, it's so funny talking about, I think, 10,000 bottles in the first year. Uh, it's really, it's, it's a one, two, three <laughs> yeah. of business class. It's so cute. <laughs> yeah, it is a but little bit. I mean, we all have to start somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but to trip. 
really. Um, so Tim and me, we soon found out if we want to carry that project onwards, um, we really need other skills in our team because we're not the, the born business people. Um, but that actually was not our thought in the beginning. We did not think about, um, you know, yeah, founding a business um, or anything like that. It was actually an old friend of mine, Fabian, who came into the picture. He was intrigued by the idea and he said, well, uh, let me let me work um, on your prototype um, in my master thesis and I'm going to um, find out if from a scientific background, because he's a food technologist and a um, food scientist, um, if that actually works. And that was basically the starting point. And then he was saying, oh, may, this is this has far too much potential just um, like the, from a product product perspective. It works. So you can manufacture it also from a from a, from a food side of things. Um, let's apply for a scholarship. And the scholarship um, was um, it's a it's a scholarship we have here in Germany. Um, it's for one year for three people actually. So that's how it's made up. We were four in the end, but it still worked out. Um, to uh, where we got a salary for a year and could uh, work on that prototype and bring the idea forward. And that was the first point where we needed a business plan. And we three were sure, okay, that's something we are not able to do. So let's get someone in who um, who can do that. And that was Janis, that's a, who's an old school friend of mine. And he was the first one saying, ah, oh, that also makes sense from a business perspective because you have the razor, razor blade model, you know, um, right. could be interesting to investors as well. Um, but that was something surely we did not think about before. I mean, we thought, okay, it could be an attractive uh, product to, to consumers, um, but we did not think about that. Well, it's it's a super impressive and also very motivating story that you just shared with us here. And Simon, then later down the road, you also joined the team. How did you first meet Lena, Tim and the whole AirUp team? The crew. Um, so back then, actually, it wasn't called AirUp at all. <laughs> but uh, I think it was still the name Joyce. Uh, and then the name Tem Ten Ace came across and then AirUp, even though there was a graveyard of thousands of names up until we came <laughs> to the name of Arab. But um, Janis actually was kind of the connecting point uh, as we studied together at the Technical University of Munich. And it was actually quite funny because I was still working in my previous startup and I got in summer 2018 a call from Janis who got my number from a befriended um, entrepreneur out of Munich and said, Simon, uh, you know what? I have a really interesting project, but I cannot tell you what it is about, but it will change the world. <laughs> I have a few questions. And then obviously you're at your phone and you're asking yourself, all right, so, um, but can you give me a little bit of context so that at least I can make it specific and fit my answer to what you need? Mm -hmm. And then obviously he said, yeah, we're right about to apply for certain patents and therefore it's, it needs to be top secretive. Uh, but I have a, a few questions about Mold, like production, like moldings, um, so Spritzkos, um, and uh, in regard of a business plan. And then um, I tried like, to give him a little bit of assistance, but then actually we, we lost our ways again. Um, and then half a year later, I met Janis one more time when they actually started to look for their very first investors. And I could try back then choice. And honestly, I was blown away by that idea. And something which... Um, I learned actually throughout my time in Tel Aviv and why I think that the Israeli startup ecosystem is working hell good is that they support one another without expecting anything back. And I think this is something which the Western world really can learn from, from the Middle Eastern Israeli culture. It's not always, uh, yeah, I give you something and in return I expect something, but simply I think making a couple of intros is like it doesn't cost you anything. I think I already supported three startups in getting their Series A or uh, pre-seed round by just writing twenty investors. It didn't cost me anything, but it gave a, like it gave a life to a potential company. And from that very moment onwards, when I met them uh, half a year later, I thought this is really this is going to be the game changer in the beverage industry. And I supported them with all my network I had back then. And then, unfortunately, half a year later, or not even half a year later, four months later. My startup, actually, it turned out that it doesn't work out. 
simply like we had the funding, patents, all of it, but uh, we were five euro cents too expensive and it was in the packaging industry. And on that very same day, Janis called me and asked if I want to join as a, as a late co-founder. And as I, I really, I was so, so confident that this will be the game changer that I still took a couple of weeks, was again considering after I think two and a half years of a lot of effort, blood, sleepless nights, if I not just should go to, I don't know, Boston Consulting or McKinsey or so, mm. earn a good salary <laughs> and have a, let's say, uh, a chill life. Also sleepless life. nights. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in a, like, I think the emotional stress is, is a lot less. Uh, but then I said, come on, I, I, I'm, I'm 27. Uh, why choose the safe route? Let's, let's join this really crazy troop of four founders. They couldn't be more diverse. Either it goes bust in half a year or it will fly. And that's basically when I joined uh, Arab. So through Yanis, maybe to, yeah, yeah, to, maybe to add to that crew. Uh, sorry, sorry. Simon, go no, ahead. No, you lay No, no. I think that's, that's how I met them. But I think you need to start really from that really weird call up to your mind is blown away to your startup goes bust the same day, uh, the same day Yanis calls you. Uh, and while basically your baby just died, he asks you if you not just want to join <laughs> the next That's quite a roller coaster ride. Plane. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Yanis always refers to hitting on the widow and the on yes. on the grave of the of the ex husband, so to say. But that's um yeah. So it was a bit <laughs> Yeah. Well whatever. But it maybe maybe to add here, so the one thing that we were missing back then was truly a salesperson. And as you can maybe already get from how Simon speaks, we were persuaded that Simon is the perfect um, salesperson for our product. So that was the one missing um, element we needed for our team in the beginning. And that's um, yeah, why we were super happy that Simon came on board. Amazing. And I think and this maybe just um, adding to Lena, what Lena just said, I think this is something really which is unique about our app because I think we are all pretty young. So Fabian, the oldest, is 32 by now, I think. I'm 30, the, old, the second oldest. And then, 29. Lina, I, I cannot tell your age. You will always stay below 30, <laughs> let's say that, that way around. But that we are, like, we were always really, really self-aware of what we can do and what we can't do and that we need to build a team and empower that team to really excellent perfection. And that's from the very first moment we said, we need to get people to this team, which are in every topic where we hire them a lot better than we are. Uh, and this is something we, I think we kept as a spirit up until today. Uh, I think like we have this one sentence, delegate responsibilities, not work because mm -hmm. all other is toxic, um, which I think is really one of the foundations of our success up until, yeah, up until 2021. And this really crazy year, we had that's this, amazing. Which is finishing. I just wonder, Simon. You before you mentioned that you were so convinced that AirUp is going to change the world, and you know now looking back with the success that you have, that's of course easy to say. But back then, in that moment, what made you so certain that that's going to be the case? Because I can imagine many people in a similar situation now deciding, should I join another startup? Mine just didn't work out. I could also go and work in consulting, for example, what gave you that confidence that this is the right call, that this is the company that's really going to change the world in that regard? So honestly, it was the experience. And I think this is, in, in most cases, the experience needs to be right, especially like in D2C or B2C companies, mm -hmm. that when I tried this product and you can activate and deactivate the taste, which is already, this is, and excuse my French, a mind fuck. Of uh, course, yeah. But you, 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 tr you, drink, like you drink a sip of water and then one second later you turn on or activate the pot and then there's taste, but you still only drink water. And just this experience really, and up until, I can tell you, like even three and a half years later, this still fucks my mind. Um, I hope that is it's allowed to say this here. <laughs> of course, uh, but and this experience, I think, is is the core driving force. And then obviously you have all these rational reasons in your head where you say, well, 
it's so much more sustainable because you don't bottle water. And I think this is one of the core challenges this world is facing and it won't change because right now what we're doing is, well, we're over-consuming this world. Then obviously there's a second reason where at least, well, I studied business. You think of this is so much more efficient than anything out there. So you save money (laughs) from a rational point of view. uh, Like, and obviously we can communicate this a lot better uh, up until today, I would say. And uh, it's healthy. It's like it's the most healthy solution you can have. And then if you have these basic underlying rational reasons and you just need, you have the experience, which is still crazy, you can turn on and off taste, make me really feel extremely confident that the solution will change the world. The only question was, are we the right team to do so? Mm-hmm. And that's actually super fascinating, Lena. If you think about that, you not only solve one of the biggest problems, but actually two of them, the health and the sustainability challenges that we currently face. If you think about your personal motivation behind that, is one more important to you? So are you more eco or more health conscious, or is it really the combination of the two that is attracting you? I think uh, what still fascinates me about the product, and this is why I say still, because of course, as a product designer working for five years on the same product is something that you would normally not love to do because it's not a lot of, you know, not a lot of change. But I think um, what we love about this product and also brought us together that um, it kind of combines responsible consumption and uh, which is a combination of both of the of of the topics with an emotional attractive product and this is something that from a design perspective you would call life centered design this is at least a, 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 a term that came up in the recent years because what we what you did uh, before that when um or a couple of years ago or maybe even today still is that you only wanted to create a product to um solve a consumer need but what a lot of companies don't do until now is that they also have a look at what kind of consequences does it have on society but also on the environment and i think that's truly it's truly important um, if you ask me from a personal perspective, I think the the sustainability problems is the bigger one because um, it will have a bigger impact on our lives in the in the upcoming years. But I think the health problem is so so strongly connected to it that yeah, being able to tackle both of the problems and solving I think is a big word because solving it does not solve the the the, the big problem itself, but it it contributes to it hopefully positively. Um, I think that's a that's a big upside. Absolutely, and in that regard, Simon, if if we think about it, right, you are currently also sort of benefiting a bit from the sales perspective by the eco-friendly products or the eco-friendly hype, so to speak. Do you ever worry that when that hype dies out, that so will air up, or do you think that you can also, you know, pursue to new heights beyond that current hype about? sustainability and uh, eco-friendliness. I think as, as Lina just mentioned, and really we also, it's our vision to make a healthy and sustainable lifestyle the most attractive choice. Um, so let's say, even though I think there's no indicator <laughs> that sustainability will, won't be there anymore or the topic of sustainability in the next 20, 30, whatsoever years, but if that wouldn't be there anymore, I think the health consciousness is still a really, really, really strong fundament to build on. Yeah. But we would stay, in the end, true to our values. And I think we, we will continue to push for the most healthy as well as the most sustainable lifestyle by creating products and solutions to enable that. Um, so I, I'm really confident that in a hypothetical scenario that <laughs> it wouldn't be of importance anymore, uh, but then something will be w- wrong with like with the world, I would say, um, that we still could pursue with this company. I always love the optimism of salespeople. I think that's contagious. <laughs> yeah, you have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now if you also think about it, right, you entered the market in 2019 and you already, that's mind-blowing, you already reached revenues of more than 100 million euros. So can you talk a bit more about how you actually win clients? What's your go-to market strategy in that regard? 
Um, I think one important thing here to mention is uh, when we announced our Series B that we were talking of a run rate of 100 million. Uh, I think the press picked it up and obviously it sounds more shiny to say 100 million. We're always, and I think there I'm really Swiss, uh, we, we don't like to communicate uh, numbers. Sure. Obviously there are a lot of competitors out there, but also in the end, then people just stick to that number. But actually our mission is, is a different one than just pushing revenues to the max. Right. So in regard of the go to market, um, I think we have a quite unique marketing mix because we see that content creators, um, people also call them influencers, but I think it's actually a lot more to be very honest. And we also need to have a different look at them um, is a channel which works hell good for us. And at the same time, obviously, like the whole social paid as well as the the Google universe, especially YouTube, this is a, a, a flywheel or these three marketing channels really work together well. They're fully scalable for us um, and actually allow to target a broad audience, um, which, and this is, I think, the Gen Set and the, the millennials who are in these channels, which care a lot about actually what we believe in. So a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. And this is basically how we always enter the market with an extremely brand-driven approach. I think what most startups actually do wrong is that they, um, and now the marketeer in me, in me talks, is that they optimize for, I don't know, a, a cost per order or customer acquisition costs. So really at the lo lower funnel KPIs. And I think we really flipped it around. And we always said, we enter the markets by first building the brand. So really aided brand awareness, looking at like, what do people feel and how do they resonate to us before we then actually start to ramp up revenues? And it's costly, uh, I can tell you, um, but that's, I think, the only way how you really can have impact on this world. Because talking to a lot of startups at a certain point in time, I don't know, it's maybe 10 or 20 million revenues. And yes, we exceeded that. Um, I think that's also public available by a lot. Um, they somehow they recognize, oh, Actually, this really niche target we were targeting via Facebook or Google ads uh, is drying out and CPOs start rising. Uh, and I think it's, you need to balance that right. And if you want to be kind of a, let's call it a challenger brand, um, so really challenge what the status quo is, and you need to invest heavily into brand. Also, actually, PR and Lena, uh, I think this is another key success driver of our of our story, but I think Lena, you're the expert there, and how this fuels in um, to our marketing mix. Maybe you want to add a few sentences here, Lena, from your experience, because I think you're also very present in the media. You're really like sort of the the face of Arab to a certain degree in in the public media. Yeah, that was uh, a decision we um, consciously took in, in quite early days because we realized PR is a good uh, channel for us. Actually, it was the, the one marketing channel for free. So we kind of had to take this yeah. opportunity. <laughs> so um, And we realized uh, it um, consumes a lot of time. So we said uh, instead of everyone being always present at those events and interviews, we need one person. And in the end... Um, yeah, it was a decision that was influenced by a PR um, agency that um, said, well, it should be someone from, from the early days. And um, then Tim didn't really want to do that. So kind of kind of stick with me. That's why I got this, this honor to, to, to be present. Um, but of course, I'm always presenting um, the whole efforts of the team and um, I Something actually, I was um, not, yeah, I, I was not super close to because uh, communication is not my my normal like it's not my background. It's not very, it was not very close to my skills in the beginning, but it has to do a lot with brand, and I was um, always working on the brand side of things. So um, the one big project, yeah, last year was um, or the uh, yeah last year. Last year was the rebranding. Um, I was um, working with a team within our company, um, and from that, um, also the, the the PR side of thing and the corporate communication is a huge contributor to the brand and the brand strategy. So um, that that's fun. 
that's um, it's nice because you can see um, it yeah, coming to life. And that is the best part of it because, uh, of course, you can have a lot of theories and a lot of ideas, but actually seeing it coming to life and um, carrying fruits, that's the best part of it. So um, that's super nice to see. It's that time of the year again. Swissblur is gathering feedback to become better at advancing entrepreneurship in Switzerland. If you'd like to give us your two cents, please reply to our user survey. Everyone who replies will get free Swisspreneur socks and stickers to sweeten the deal. Check the show notes on this episode for the survey link. And hey, thank you very much. I also want to pick up two things that both of you just mentioned before. The first one is really the heavy investment in, in your brand. That's the long-term game. That will be probably your unfair advantage, or it already is, because people, they know your brand, they associate with it. But you also need to be able to afford that. So what was the story that you told to investors to actually convince them that this is the right strategy to take? Uh, I actually can't remember. I think actually investors are normally very aware of the fact of branding and that brand has a is, plays a big role within a D2C product. I think the question always is how do you... I think brand is such an abstract word for everyone. Doesn't know, like, you know, most of people don't know what they would understand underneath um, the topic of branding. Um, so I think it was rather finding the right balance in between um, not having a lot of resources on the one side so we, we didn't you know we weren't able to put a lot of we didn't um, get this agency in who did this huge branding topic for us and then uh, executed all the assets but it was um, it was a kind of um, uh, internal efforts uh, like from a from a, a strategy perspective then we got the right agency into actually being able to execute those ideas and we were qu quite smart with the budget we had so um, it was um, um, it, I don't know how much I should go into detail with it but um, we we kind of built up a stock library with with footage uh, with videos and photos we could put together um, very quickly and very efficiently and put text on top of it being able to to do a lot of AB tests in terms of communication and still having branded assets. So um, we did not do this one big campaign. And then from that onwards, we were a, a popular and a relevant brand, but it was a really an ongoing effort. And um, in the beginning, there was not a lot of budget involved today, um, a little bit more. Um, but yes, yeah, so we had to be clever uh, on that side. And we had a lot of super super talented people on board from the beginning onwards um, for that topic. And we also had luck with um, the people we got in touch with on an agency side because they brought a very startup um, mindset, entrepreneurial mindset in that um, game. That's certainly helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. The second point I wanted to address maybe for you, Simon, is also you mentioned that you have competitors. Of course, there are competitors out there. But from my perspective, it also seems that you do have an unfair advantage when it comes to your business model with the razor and blade model. You sell the starter kit and then you have the recurring revenue because people need new pots, right? In what way is that uh, an advantage for you to also yeah, stay ahead of your competition in the market? Um, I guess, as you, as you said yourself, well, if you have a, a lock-in by nature... It obviously <laughs> supports your business model. Uh, the question is, is it an unfair advantage? Um, because like, uh, it's more, maybe a little more philosophic what's unfair. Sure. <laughs> because nobody, uh, and we don't hold back anyone to build also a razor, razor blade business model. But I think, especially in the beverage industry, it's quite difficult to come up with such a great idea as Lena and Tim had. So I'm, I'm still really lucky that they, that they, uh, invented this product and that they got me onto this journey. Um, but something or how do how we see it actually, and again, it's really coming back to our vision, it's, I think, yes, there are competitors, but in the end, um, I don't thinking of water drop or in Switzerland drops, these are, in the end, they are also aiming for more healthy solutions. And yes, they have a different technology because it's, in the end, it's, it's still not scent-based, but it's... Um, I would say taste-based, mm -hmm. but they aim for 
a similar impact. So they want to make consumers more sustainable and healthy. Um, and I think this is always something which I think many new entrepreneurs don't get right that if you have an emerging trend or a new category which is growing, more competition actually or more competitors help you to grow the segment itself than if you're a lonely soldier, so to say. Yeah. And this is something where you need to really be aware of. And yes, we're talking to Waterdrop and we're talking to others. Uh, and we're actually even exchanging ideas um, because it's not about one another because, well, we have 8 billion persons on this world, right? Um, so it's really about change the way we live today. And this is how we perceive it rather than let's, let's try to, I don't know, to take them down or so. I like that approach. That's uh, also probably a bit more a Swiss approach, but a very good one to not try to smash your competitors, but actually see yeah. how you can contribute to the better good altogether. I like that a lot. When it comes to pricing, um, you know, with the recurring uh, purchases that you do have to make to get your pots, people could also perceive it a bit of as an expensive purchase. Of course, if you weigh out the benefits and you calculate the sum that you invest in your plastic bottles, you probably spend way more money there. But was that ever a challenge for you to market and sell the product that people would also perceive it as, oh, it's just water, so it's too expensive for me to afford that? Or was that never a real issue for, for the marketing and sales perspective? So we, we get certain consumer feedbacks which say that the pots are... I wouldn't say too expensive, but expensive. Mm -hmm. And we really, and there we still can do a good job. And it's also like maybe a tip to you outside there that it's, you always need to think in value for price. And there we certainly still can do a better job because as I said, you or told you, and we know that consumers on average, they drink seven, eight liters out of one pot. And it costs you in euros, or maybe we talk in Swiss francs here, costs you between let's say three and four francs and if you divide this by eight you're ending up at f 50 rappen <laughs> sorry for my swiss german here <laughs> um and then and this is something with, where you need to get the communication at the right point right uh so obviously well if you do advertising or if you have certain like in pr i think consumers don't think of a price at the first step but then on, on a web shop or on the shelf, I think there we still have a, an area to improve for, to actually really give the, like we give you value because in the end we, we make water sexy, to be very honest. And we know that a lot of people struggle, like that's the re reason why like many big companies out there, I don't know, the whole beverage industry makes hundreds of billions of revenue exist because well, we seem to have a difficulty in drinking water. And we now, we change the narrative to make it healthy and sustainable. And this is something which is super intriguing, but still, yes, we you need to communicate it better, but there's not so much pushback to be very honest, even though I see a huge, a huge area of opportunity in that space. Amazing. Yeah, I think that's the perfect combination of having a really good product from Europe, but also sort of the American marketing and sales uh, aspect from my experience, what you just shared here, the great storytelling, the big vision that you're chasing. I think that's the perfect combination to go for. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We're so, trying our best. <laughs> of course. So my next question goes to you, Lena. You know, you now experienced rapid growth with the company. You talked about the early days. It, you just sort of ended up in the business world, more as a coincidence than a master plan behind it. And now with the rapid growth, you also face a lot of internal challenges because you have to rebuild your communication channels. You have to onboard new employees and also align them so you can still have a good, a positive outcome as a company instead of everybody working on something different. So how do you manage that? Do you also get any outside help to be able to navigate through those challenges because that's that's a big topic to grow with the company i can imagine yeah actually i think that is one of the biggest challenges um, for startups in the the stage we are right um right now in again we had to make a decision at one point we realized okay we um our young team we probably have all our talents we have our strengths we also have our weaknesses but um we are a good team but the one thing that we are missing is experience. 
So even though, I mean, Fabian has worked two years maybe before that, um, none of us had any major working experience before we started with the app. So we said, okay, um, in order to be able to um, overcome this growth and to actually also um, yeah, get the structures internally right, we need someone in here right now who has this experience. And then we um, hired Chris Hout, who is our co-CEO today, um, who started in 2020. He is also has a story in Switzerland because he founded there once um, a Swiss, a Swiss uh, marketplace, um, a startup grew enormously within a short amount of time but he also um, was on a consultancy side um, yeah working um, with a lot of companies that um, yeah had to face this um, growth so um, for us that was the perfect that was the perfect match and he came in and um, brought a lot of experience um, to that uh, to the table and with his help we were able to think about the structures ahead so um, I think the one the, the yeah we didn't have to make mistakes in order to realize what we ha could have done better um, but um, we had someone who said well now it's the time that we have to think about this and this and that um, and now this is the time where we should uh, introduce I don't know um, uh, internal Wikipedia page for everyone to share knowledge um, so this this yeah this helped us a lot but of course it's still it's it's still a huge uh, challenge for us um, we, we, I mean, beginning of this year, we were 80 people. Now we're over 170 people. So you can imagine how fast the changes within the team are and um, how you have to evolve constantly. So that um, keeps and, us busy. Uh, <laughs> and maybe adding to this, I think really that the Chris was a key turning point. And again, the self-awareness of what you can do and what you can't do. And also kind of as a, as a tip to the outside world, because I see many, many, many startups to save money on, on HR, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So it's only a support function. And the very first person we hired was Kim, um, who was an HR person, because we always said from the get-go that the culture, in the end, like you have your functional goals, you have your North Star, your vision, but in the end, the people and the team, they are the ones who, who bring all of this alive. And this is a spirit we kept. And I think the very first thing Chris did when he joined us was to establish the concept of HR business partners. And we, I think, are really rich. I think on our, on, out of the 170 people, we have five HR business partners, which support all of us with a lot of experience to really get the organization right and to avoid those typical crises you, you have when you're 25, 50, 100, now soon to be 200 people because they proactively support what each and one of us founders in, in getting their team rights. And this is something where I would say, and I still say that this was one of the smartest things to do, because really, I think most things companies face if they have a product market fit are self-made crises mm -hmm. because they don't manage to get the organization right. They lose themselves, they don't focus, they, they are either too late in establishing HR systems. Um, I don't know, right now we have, uh, as I said, delegate responsibility does not work. Think before you act certain things. We simply need to reestablish again and again, focus, 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 and keep it really simple. And then on a continuous base, work with the whole team to keep the culture also. And I think this is something many, many scale-ups, startups, even mature companies don't get right. And their Chris and the HR business partner team were really... I think one of the key success drivers of what we see today. Yeah, maybe to add to that, I think the the major problem is when you in this transition phase from startup to scale up, the one thing that stays the same is um, the dynamic um, environment. So you have a lot of work to do. You have a high workload uh, for everyone in the company. That's something we can't um, not talk about. It's of course, um, it's a lot of efforts uh, included to come to a success like this, what we experience right now. Um, but of course, the structures it's uh, it's the, the individual itself doesn't feel as much impact anymore um it's less flexible as in a startup where we have a you know we we've been 30 people um in in and um beginning uh, 
yeah, in 2019. Um, so that's a, it's a whole different team dynamic. And the biggest breaking point that could happen is within the culture so that the, the motivation just drops from 100 to zero. And that's what a lot of startups experience at that stage. The second thing and the third thing that could happen is in decreasing pace and a decrease of innovation the innovation level and that's three things that we extremely work on so we have like for example we have an internal feedback platform where we can track how people feel so they get and they get the opportunity to answer questions so how do you feel today i don't know we have certain segments where they can contribute so uh, i i don't like this at the moment Um, i don't feel comfortable uh, with this at the moment and then you can see even though maybe as a manager or um, as a team lead you would not they wouldn't tell you this uh, because you know sometimes you don't have enough meetings or people don't feel comfortable um you have a really good overview of uh, the mood within the company which is really helpful um but also like from a structural perspective to when it comes to 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 speed and uh, innovation that's where you can do a lot of mistakes um and that's yeah one of the the big challenges for us but i think we're on a good way we we did not uh, see it anywhere breaking yet so I think what you just mentioned, it's a really good reminder that, you know, once you hit the product market fit and several millions in revenue, it's not so much about the fundraising or the product anymore. Of course, those points are still very important, but really the key factor that you need to manage when growing is hiring. Can you get the best and the right talent for your company? If you can't get that, you will never grow beyond a certain size. Yep, Definitely. And and really, I think the culture aspect, because I had a lot of, or we have a lot of t- talks uh, talks about this, and Alma was, I was uh, I was asking myself, why is the culture always that important? Now, and I was talking to Lena, to Chris, to Christian, our USMD, mm-hmm. and in the end, it's always coming back to actually, like the culture aspect, like by getting the right people, is an unspoken how we solve problems and how we find solutions without talking too much yeah. because yes uh, if you have a complete I don't know diverse team which doesn't work together well you will spend hundreds of hours in meetings to find the same solution with the right culture and this is this is something why we are so obsessed about keeping our culture right I'm deeply impressed by yourself awareness that you practice there and you also almost make it look very easy the way that you build and scale the company so I also wonder, you know, by letting go, you mentioned you delegate responsibilities, not work, by letting go and also putting your ego in the backseat by just saying, hey, there's someone else that does a better job than me. Was that ever challenging on a personal level to let go of things and to let other people handle those tasks? Because I could imagine that when you start out doing that on your own, in the beginning, you do everything yourself and to then let certain things go, that can, despite having a low ego and everything, still be a, quite a challenge on a personal level. Who do you do you ask the question to? Uh, to both answer? of you, I would uh, say, well, because you both experienced answer. that, yeah. Maybe to, uh, to, to start, of course, this is hard. I think giving up control is something that everyone um, of us, um, please, Simon, inter- disru- um, interrupt me if, if I'm saying bullshit here. But I think, of course, everyone, maybe on a different level and on different topics, um, that's a hard thing. Because, of course, when you found a company, you're emotionally invested. Because otherwise, if you're not emotionally invested, um, then I don't think you would stay through those hard times in yeah. the beginning. You really have to be persuaded and, um, yeah, you really have to see a, yeah, a, a big vision maybe as well. So for me, um, speaking about myself, um, for me, it's hard to give up control uh, in the product and brand segment. But um, and I, I, I can even though, of course, I'm totally aware of that. I sometimes have the urge to say, "Oh my God, I really want to work on the product again." You know, it's a, it's, it's it, you, you. We work now on a on a high strategic level, which I love. To be honest, this is something. So the phase right now for me is a lot better than the, in the beginning. So I'm I'm better on that uh, those strategic topics. But still, sometimes you know, the, you miss getting your hands on to um the product but that's part of it i think uh, it's it's part of the journey and it's something we have to accept and um yeah so 
Yeah, maybe. And uh, talking for myself, I think even like if when we started back in the days, being five people, and or then when we actually went to the market, I think we were maybe thirteen or so. And maybe you read it that well, we were sold out in eight or nine weeks, had two million revenue. And since ever then, I would say it's a constant being overwhelmed <laughs> and at the same time having all of these challenges which are so interesting for yourself but i think really for at least for me this aspect of being overwhelmed because it's so 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 much of stuff you need to take care of um was kind of the the point where i always managed to really delegate responsibilities yeah. simply let go and at least for me, one of the most inspiring things, and that's the reason why I actually I would say since one and a half years don't have any issues at all anymore, because anyways, it's always too much work to hand over responsibilities, to see how other people you have in your team excel to perfection. And simply it's, for me, it's always an inspiring thing to see because it, obviously you still, you still, you see the results, you see how they go about it. And it's just inspiring and you can learn so much from these people again that you create this really positive dynamics. And then, like I would say, simply show that appreciation to those people or mm -hmm. your direct managers or even teammates. Like, actually, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and tell them that it's like, it's hell great work. They simply just did. And you wouldn't have managed, but you learn a lot from them. And this is, I think this is then yeah. really how you create a positive uh Dynamic and yes, sometimes you see things breaking, uh, but then still, I think if you have an honest, positive environment, you can talk about these things and learn from them as a team. And this is, this is at least why I, by this being constantly overwhelmed, <laughs> because it's obviously like, I don't know, growing from 10 to 20, 200 people, internationalizing, you know, all in a sudden, really creating a consistent brand which has a, a global relevance with. With, yeah, with local importance, so to say, this is something you, you never experienced. And then yeah. getting those people that inspire you also, uh, I think this is kind of the key how you can go about it. And that's At least, or how I went about it. <laughs> right. I, I think it's also um, that's it's a very good point, Simon. I think what we also sometimes or I have to realize myself, like you know, when I was now I'm 29. I if I would not have founded Air Up, I would have been a, in a completely point in my career, right? So what we are able to do actually um, is crazy. So working on those strategic topics for me is uh, one of the biggest, like, you know, presence uh, actually within this company. But the one of the bigger topics even for me is to work with experts. So people, you learn so much within that time and you learn from so many impressive people so you speak to so many people who who have drive who have um, a vision and you know who have uh, made their learnings and you are able to work with them together and it's super rewarding well I'm, I'm really blown away by everything that you just said it's so impressive and even more impressive, if you look at the numbers, we already briefly touched upon the 100 million euro run rate as reported by the media in two years. Three-digit team size that is also still fastly growing. So AirUp is really on its way up, so to speak. <laughs> and I just wonder, what have you planned for the future? Where do you want to go? Where will your priorities for next year and beyond be, Simon? So from... Uh from a business perspective, um, and I think it really is about stabilizing what we see in Europe. Um, and I think I, I mentioned a couple of times now, focus, focus, focus. And obviously I just mentioned Europe. So um, what we plan for Europe at least is a really focused internationalization. Also something, well, we had success, but then many, I think, founders companies then get maybe too self-confident and I think they, they can conquer the world, everything is possible. Uh, and I guess, again, we're really self-aware that it's, it's a really, really hard thing. And we're super lucky that so far, actually, our internationalization went quite well in Europe, that 
let's say for the next two years, we continue focused internationalization. Right now we're in eight countries. And then really, I think there's this one market <laughs> from all qualitative and quantitative data points we have, which is across <laughs> the ocean, the United States, which is, and I think also there many companies burn themselves, um, which is the core focus for us. Uh, and what we really want to get right um, and right now we're preparing a mission, uh, I mentioned Christian, our USMD, we're super lucky to find such a great talent. And right now are building up the team in the US. And I think if we manage to properly and good internationalize in Europe, and it's hell complex, obviously it's so dense, so many cultures. And I can tell you, it's not about translation. If you think of the yeah. brand, it's transcreation, <laughs> because really, just the fact like water is perceived so different across all of the countries which are surrounding Switzerland. <laughs> um, and also, I don't know, really, what is a rebel innovator, for example? Uh, our brand persona, a rebel is com something completely different in Switzerland than in France, Italy, and in the Nordics. This is really like what, what you have in mind by that. But I think then the big, 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 big focus is ramping up the US in a proper manner and don't, yeah don't hit the wall by by doing right. it wrong. And really, and I think the core there is, again, it's coming back to the team is what we notice here in Europe and we have always like one, one at least one person from the specific country who is leading that market to really get the, 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 the local relevance and the understanding of that market. Mm -hmm. We build a complete US-based team. Don't, don't send over like the Europeans because I think this is something we learned talking to a lot of companies made made a like billion dollar revenue companies or young startups that get the right people and don't be too european by going to the yes um, and i think yeah. this is the, from a business side of things the core focus for us um, and from the brand side of things i would throw the ball back to you lena <laughs> but i think it's really solidify, uh, solidifying if that is the right word <laughs> the brand uh but from the brand communication and product vision, I think, Lena, you're the better person to talk to. Yeah, of course, um, maybe to the product vision, we can't be, we can't be too detailed. But I think what, um, what we currently work on is that, um, of course, uh, we, our technology still has a huge potential. So um, I think we only scratched the surface of it um, because um, no one ever has tried that before. So it leaves us a lot of room for, um, you know, maybe experiencing more more to it. Um, but on the long term, what's, uh, what's going to be um, more important to us is... Um, yeah, what I said before, so we have a, our biggest buyer group is the Gen Z. Um, we designed a product maybe from a young generation for a young generation that um, is confronted um, with climate change, but also um, with the, the topic of health and um, to, yeah, create products that um, are actually attractive and don't take all the fun out of life um, with still being able to combine it with one own well, um, values. Um, I think that's the direction we're going to go also in the future. And um, there is the, the sky is the limit. I think there are a lot of uh, topics where we can, you know, uh, develop some crazy and nice products uh, within. So... That's certainly a very exciting future ahead. And I also wonder, you have investors on board. You are basically growing fast. So you also become a more more serious competitor for the existing industry, so to speak. Do you have any exit plans? Do you think or dream about a sale to Coca-Cola or Pepsi, for example? I think, or... Go ahead. Maybe, Lina, yeah. But yeah. So I think also one of the reasons to be very honest why back in the days when i said oh this is such a these four four guys they are so diverse um and yeah either it goes bust in an, <laughs> in half a year or it will fly was one of the core motivations which i felt from the get go and i really asked each one of 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 the other four co-founders is do you simply want to blow this up and sell it so is it about becoming rich or you really want to change something and up until today, I think we really stay true to this. That is, I think as soon as you go for the money, you you don't act right anymore. You don't think mid and long term. 
uh, and uh, I think therefore I think well maybe something crosses <laughs> our way but I think if you want to build a company and you want to stay true to your vision um, you shouldn't think too much of exits and I don't know IPOs or whatsoever but I think a successful company that stays true to its values is 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 the basically core fundament for whatever comes in the future and yes uh, obviously the the game of investors is to, <laughs> to invest and sell but um i think they also understand that a successful company is is the most important thing to do so but lena i'm also happy to no that's to, to completely hear. completely right what simon said i think um as i you asked me before have i ever had the ambition to found a company that's definitely not what i had and also i think what brought us together as a team was not the idea of being entrepreneurs but it was rather the idea to to make the idea and the product big and that's still what's um what's yeah driving us today so it's uh, it was never about the the company's success it was rather about let's make this product um, a success because it is uh, something we all believe in and um, we always told ourselves let's continue as long as it works so that was when <laughs> kind of how we got from one point to the other point to the next point um, always surprised how fast and well it went I think we've also been incredible, incredibly lucky we also of course put a lot of work into it but we've also been incredibly incredibly lucky so um we we made some right decisions on the way, um, which we probably uh, did not, maybe not know about at that point. That 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 is the right decision, right? So, um, yeah, for us, the the long term success is the most rewarding part of it. So, let's see how that's the how right spirit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How, how far we still come. So. <laughs> So for this very last part of this interview, we prepared some rapid fire questions for you. And I'm just going to ask you one by one, either give you a short selection of different options and you have to make one choice, or I give you a short question you have to answer in one sentence. Are you ready? Yes. Yep. Perfect. So Lena, first one for you. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Actually, I think quite a lot. I don't I have not counted, but I think seven at least because I got boosted yesterday um, no the day before and i'm still completely i don't know i couldn't get out of bed this morning so so that's the booster is good to get enough sleep then yeah <laughs> it was <laughs> simon what is something that you always have trouble recycling actually uh, i shouldn't tell this but it's the uh the how do you say biomüll uh you yeah. have the english word for that compost uh, i think the, the compost why so because it we have such a big trash bin <laughs> that it's always getting moldy and that's oh. the reason why i often throw it in in in, in the normal trash which actually i'm 100 percent aware it's not good but you don't want to have the mold growing next yeah, of course to your normal trash <laughs> yeah. <Fair> point <laughs> lena what is your favorite pot flavor i'm very curious to hear that Oh, orange vanilla swirl. That's okay, the thing nice. that uh, came up right, uh, quite recently. But fun fact was um, the first flavor we experimented with when we were um, having our first prototypes because we had vanilla and orange flavor from the supermarket as baking rumors. And in the beginning, we couldn't make it work, but now we finally could. And that's uh, super nice because now I'm sipping orange vanilla all the time. Perfect. Simon, since you joined Airup, did you ever drink a regular soft drink again? And yes, but I think really rare occasions. And it's actually every time I do sports or endurance sports, I don't know, you cycle 200 kilometers and you go into a sugar low and simply oh, yeah. basically your body crashes. And then I think it's actually only Red Bull and Coke I then get <laughs> to get me back on track because I still, I don't know, you need you need to cycle home. <laughs> the caffeine and the sugar combination, that keeps you going. Indeed. <laughs> Lena, how do you stay healthy? You know, we heard it's a lot of challenges, a lot of change, a lot of working hours. So how do you stay fit and healthy besides all that workload? Uh, how am I healthy? I don't know. Um, I stay healthy by, I think, having 
Um, I think at some point I realized, okay, uh, working too much is is something that would destroy maybe my health at some point. So uh, my rule is not to work on the weekends. Um, that's uh, one way. And I think, I don't know, having a happy balance, uh, happy happy mind and body is, uh, I think, the, the right balance. So I do not, um, I do not only eat um, I don't know vegetables and fruits, but I also uh, eat my croissant in the morning because it makes me happy. So <laughs> I think it's uh, having the right balance. Yeah. Hey, Lena, Simon, thank you so much for taking the time. That was a real pleasure talking to you today. And I, I imagine we could probably do like three or four other episodes to talk about culture, international expansion, <laughs> etc. But we'll save that for later. All the best. Lots of success with whatever you're tackling in the future. And it was really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It was really nice. Um, and don't just get us even started. When Once we start talking, we, you won't be able to stop us. So <laughs> be prepared. I have no yeah. problem with that at all. You have very interesting <laughs> learnings and lessons to share. Yeah, also thank you from my side and have a lovely Christmas holiday. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs. <laughs>